Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hi. How are you guys? <laughs> you good? Um, you can sit down. <sighs> Thank you for such a nice, warm welcome. And thank you for uh, the, the, the kind words that you said about me. It means a lot. Um, I want to say thank you first to Pastor Phil Shaw for having such a deep interest in the person of Jesus that he would be uh, interested in uh, hosting a school. So I thank you for your love for Jesus. It, it, it really means a lot. I feel kindred with your eyes because you have eyes for him. Uh, that's first. I wanted to say that. Also, I have uh, a friend here, a recent friend named Gordon Clowry here with me. He just hosted me up in uh, Dorset. Was it Dorset? or Yeah, in Dorset. Oh, what a tender man of God. He was blasted during, during the Toronto blessing, and he hasn't lost a fire, which is tremendous. So I just want to honor him as well. And then also, uh, a man of God is here one of the directors of Christ for All Nations, uh, Mark Oakes. He's here in the front row. Just want to honor him as well. Uh, you're in the presence of someone who is causing and contributing to the takeover of Africa, <laughs> you know what I mean? which, is, which is tremendous. And Peter Cavana as well, such a uh, faithful man of God, how many know that faithfulness is where it's at? Now, wonderful gifts are awesome and shooting stars are great, but I'll tell you what's wonderful is the star that remains constant in the sky. And so I just uh, want to honor Peter Cavana for being a, a faithful man of God that uh, ones like me can look to and look up to and say, you can stay faithful to God and in love with Jesus and know the Bible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nowadays, it seems like people are trying to pick one or the other, but you can't. You can't. So, I wanted to say those things first. And now, guys, I, I really want you to just completely and totally relax. Okay? There's just something about relaxation. It just testifies to the Lord that there's nothing you can do. It's the disposition of poverty. Lord, I've got nothing. I'm at the end of myself. The end of ourselves, that's the beginning of God's activity. Many times God has to wait for man to get tired of his own activity before he can initiate his divine activity. But I'm going to tell you a secret. Many of you know this already. You can choose an activity, which is the ignition of divine 
activity. See, man does not acquire faith. He's actually reduced to it. What do you mean? Once he gets to the point where he recognizes all of his strivings and sweat and efforts and pushing and pressing and knowing and learning and all this kind of thing doesn't give him one inch towards the Lord. Once he recognizes that, then he says, I've got nothing left. And the Lord says, thank you. (laughs) And this is this is the beauty of faith, where we get wonderful revelation from the scriptures of one of the clearest understandings of such faith is when Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This, not of yourselves, there's a reason, so that no one can boast before God. He is preeminent, he is all And he will always be all, and he will not share this with anybody. He wants 100% credit 100% of the time. This is his unwillingness to share his glory because he's wrapped it all up in his son. God is infatuated with his son. He loves his son so much. He gives everything over to him. He lifts him high, and then in the end... The son gives everything back to his father. They're in this wonderful love exchange, one with another. And God has this jealousy for his son to be seen. Many times when I go speak somewhere, I will say to the Lord, I will say, what is it that you uh, desire to do? And I say this to him knowing where he's going to go. But I say it to him to let my own heart remember, even knowing the right way to go is not enough. You have to be infused. It has to be illuminated. It's even a wonderful lyric. Jason Upton says, illuminate what's right in front of me. It may be right here. But until you illuminate it, I still can't see it. Even if I think I see it, without your spirit making it alive, it's dead to me. How many know that you need the current speaking of God to help you know what you already know? What do you mean, Eric? I mean, just because... We can point to it doesn't mean it's in our blood. It has to drop from the brain to the blood. And there's only one thing that is heavy enough to pull it down from the brain and put it in the blood. And it's the presence of God. It's the sweetness of his person. He has made it so that everything hinges upon love, relationship, With him, I was telling Gordon on the way over here, it seems if you put the entirety of Scripture in a funnel, what would come out of the bottom of the funnel, you guys know what a funnel is, yeah? If you put the entirety of Scripture in the funnel, 
what would come out of the bottom of the funnel would be two words from God's heart to you. And they would be this. Love me. From the very beginning, when he calls out a people for his own name, he builds them on a commandment that says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love me perfectly. Love me wholly. Love love me only. I'll tell you, it's the word only that has been really plaguing me recently. The word only is so incredible. It suggests a single superiority. Literally, the only is the exclusion of everything but one. And only is so precious because this is a great way to look at what God is looking for throughout the earth. He's looking for an only. Someone who says, I've excluded all others, Lord. It is only you. I don't have another desire in my, my life but you. And it's here, if we can stay right here, we're, we're at home and we're safe. See, it's this only that protects us. And in the same way, it's the additions that infect us, that, that cause all kinds of unnecessary problems. A.W. Tozer wrote in his classic work, The Pursuit of God. He said it's the A-N-D that kills us. The and. The additions to him. And I feel in my own life, I don't know what your life is like, but it's probably something similar, being a fellow human. <laughs> is he continually brings me to this point again and again where he looks in my heart and he's seeing, he's trying to see if I'm the if, if I'm 100% his, it seems as if he brings each road of life to one end where he's looking to find if I only want him. Do you still just want me? I say to the Lord sometimes when I sing the songs I've been singing since the day I got born again in 1996, I sing the same songs and I say to the Lord sometimes, I say, Lord, do you still see the truth inside of me that was there in the beginning? Is it still there or is it mixed with other things that I want from your hands and the things that you're able to do? Or am I really in love with you? I find he has a way of making all of life bring us to this point again and again. Love me. Do you love me? Do you desire me? I think that he's looking around the entire world for hearts. Hearts represent affectionate love. He's looking for hearts that are completely his. What does that mean? He's looking for the lovesick ones. (laughs) He's looking for those who only have eyes for him. He's looking for hearts of love and affection that are not pieces and in pieces, but are wholly laid down at his feet. 
And I find that most of the time he does not find this. That's why he's continually looking. I've told this story many times, but it's something that really changed my life. I was in a prayer meeting where all kinds of prayers were going up. In the midst of all these different prayers going up, there was one prayer in the midst of all the other prayers in this vision that I had that was a different kind of prayer. It was, it was completely different than every other request that went up to God. And the one request, as I leaned in to hear this request, it was only one word. And the prayer that was going up different than every other prayer was simply this, you, 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 Lord, you. A cry from the inside that says, oh, put it all aside. Nothing else matters. I want you, God, above everything else. And to me, I find just as that room was full of all kinds of people and all kinds of prayers, and there was only one in the midst of many, I find that's exactly what God is finding so often is that it's few and far between where he can actually find someone he can rest with. Someone who will say, let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. He loves when we let him hold us. What do you mean, let him hold us? I really feel that even as Psalm 131, David says, I have stilled and quieted my soul as the weaned child rests against its mother. He shows this imagery of direct contact. The, the weaned child rests against the mother. That's direct contact. And this is the beauty of where direct contact comes from. It comes from rest. But what kind of rest? Well, it's a weaned child, which means this child does not have to be there it can go it's 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 weaned off so in the same way it's choosing to rest that brings us into direct contact with god but it's literally a choice to retract from all activity but many people don't want to do this because we're addicted to activity we love it it gives us a sense of significance it gives us a sense of and i say sense of because most of the time it's not important the things that we busy ourselves with cory tin boom cautioned us she said beware the barrenness of a busy life and i think a lot of times this activity and addiction to activity robs us of the beauty of choosing to just rest in His presence. See, if the school of His presence is anything, it's to remind us that His presence is the only school. The Bible says that He appointed the apostles, the disciples, to first of all be with Him. In Mark chapter 3, the first thing that he wanted from them was for them to just be with him. You see, we don't like that as humans addicted to activity because we're like, and? A woman came up to me in Israel and she says, 
Oh, Eric, I want to grow in God. I want to increase in maturity. And I want to experience God in a, in a greater way. And I looked at her and I said, are you asking me for advice? She says, yes, tell me, how do I get closer to God? And I was like, oh, enjoy him. And she goes, and? And I said, no, that's just it. <laughs> just enjoy him. And then she's like, no, I know that. But, and I was like, there's the problem. Here's your issue. Is you want to compound upon him. He's enough. He will always be enough. And here's the lie that comes in from religion and all kinds of weird spiritual things. It's that you got to have this too. No, you don't. To love him, to enjoy him, this is what he's looking for. And then we find that we accomplish more on accident than we ever did on purpose. <laughs> By just laying on him. Just resting upon his chest and gaining access to the divine treasure chest. You just lean in on him and be kissed. Kissed in such a way that the memory of it pulls you back in again. <laughs> lean in and be kissed. I encourage you even today while you're here, you've chosen to block out this time. So let's let everything else just go. You've chosen to be here, so let's completely just be here with him. And even as he has said to the apostles, be with me, I pray that today you would find the nothingness of just being with him. And you would find that the wonderful somethings happen in the midst of the sweet nothings. It makes no sense, I understand. It doesn't make sense to us because we are activity-based But when we really understand true spirituality, we realize that divine activity is ignited by human inactivity. You choose passivity with God so that God can pass through you. God passes through the man who chooses to be passively looking. What, is, what does passively looking look like, Eric? You're doing it right now. You're receiving the words that are coming through the speaker into your ears. You're not doing anything but receiving. And I'm telling you, this is the beauty of what we see in Mary. She's listening to his every word. She's chosen inactive passive reception. She has chosen inactive passive reception. And in this, she herself becomes a message. Her sister's forgotten. Her works died with her. But Mary becomes something. And this is God's desire for you, not for you to do something, but to become something. What is that becoming? It comes by receiving his voice through a passive choice. And in this becoming, we have the ability to reveal him. And this is the secret of real gospel preaching, real gospel representation, real whole families and marriages. It all goes back to housing the sweetness of the Lord and it changes your house. 
We have so many houses that are in disarray because we won't house his presence. But I'm telling you, the first thing that the Holy Spirit begins to do in a person's life is work in the midst of those who are closest to you. That's how he works. We think as humans, the Holy Spirit has come upon me, give me a microphone and give me a crusade. But God is saying, no, love your wife. He's saying, take the people that are around you and let the sweetness of the fruit of the Spirit in your life be tasty to them. Let others come from all around your immediate circle and eat of the fruit of your tree. You know, one thing about a tree that bears forth fruit is you never see them groaning or fighting or twisting and turning to get their fruit to come out. It just effortlessly produces because of life in the tree. And this is the beauty of fruit. God comes to us and he looks for fruit. Does he not? We see the vine dresser and he comes and he looks for fruit. But there is no fruit without life. You see a tree with no life in it, there's no fruit. But you can tell a tree has life by fruit. It's not the job of the tree, per se, to make the fruit. It's the job of the life in the tree. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, you notice that the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, you can't even choose to make this stuff. It comes from the residence of another. The presence of the Spirit causes results, and they look like something. Paul chooses to point at love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I used to wonder what that meant when he said against such things there is no law. And then the Holy Spirit just opened it up to me one day and showed me. He's trying to say, this is so much higher than laws. (laughs) It's nature. God designed that you'd receive his nature by receiving him. And herein is the glory of Christianity that God would give you his own person. He'd put his person upon and inside your person. So that he could bring you so much higher than do's and don'ts. He can give you life. And that life will cause a bearing forth of God's own beautiful nature. And it looks like whole marriages and whole families and whole friendships. And a life that actually is a delight for others to come to and receive from. I tell you, when I grew up in the church, this is not what I saw. How many of you can second that? This is not the kind of thing that you saw in the church. Most of the things that we saw in the church growing up was a line drawn down the middle. And on this side you had good things and on this side you had bad things. And you had to do your best to stay on the good side and try to do more good things than bad things and grip a cross and grit your teeth and do your best to obey black and white. That was the Christianity that I grew up with. But there's one big problem with it. 
There's no love. Love makes easy the things that others pain and discipline. See, love causes something that Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. In other words, what I'm talking to you about, this is what Jesus would be portraying, what he'd be expounding on. He's like saying, what I'm talking about is that if you love me, you'll no longer be able to be the same way that you were. And this is the beauty of like what the definition of lovesick is. And I love that word, lovesick. How many of you have even recognized that that word was not written by men? That word was written by God. You know, I love to buy poetry, love poetry books, and read them. Secular writers. Because I recognize something. That God has installed inside of humanity principles that point to his revelation. In other words, what he desires and intends to have with us, he has installed many things along the way so that we could understand what he wants with us. I'll give you a couple of examples, one of which is this beautiful way between a man and a woman. In Proverbs, the wonderful wisdom writer, he says, there's a lot of things I don't understand. A snake on a rock, a lizard in a castle, and the way of a man with a maiden. I don't get it. It's like the definition of lovesick is to be so in love that one is unable to act normally. (laughs) So the wisdom writer sees two people in love and he says, I don't even understand it. It's ridiculous. Love sickness makes one absolutely ridiculous to the world. Because you choose him and your heart is so taken with him that the things that move other people, they can't even move you anymore. The stuff that fuels people and the intentions that seem to cause all this competition and comparison and look at me and all this cry for significance and relevance, it's gone. And you're literally, it makes no sense to even want those things anymore because you're so filled and satisfied with him that it's, it's funny <laughs> to think that people would want to compare one with another. I want, you know... So-and-so has this, I don't. And when we begin to think like this, it's just indicative of the fact that some piece of your heart has left wanting only him. You know, I'm going to be open with you guys and very uh, vulnerable. I'll try to be like that uh, because I feel it's most important to open our hearts to one another and, and, and see the, the reality of what this thing looks like. One day I was in... Uh, man... I was in uh, <clears throat> I was in South Carolina, and I was worshiping the Lord. 
all by myself in my hotel room. And my wife sent me a text. My phone was right next to my Bible and it went off. And as I was reading the scripture, I stopped and I saw the text from my wife. I clicked on it. And my wife wrote this paragraph. She was frustrated. Frustrated with how people around us are flourishing in ministry and stuff seems to just fall in their lap and somebody just bought a house that you could fit six of our houses inside of and you know this money's flowing with all these people and things and she just wrote me and said will it ever be our turn and when I saw this I thought to myself wow this is easy to think like And then I went back to the text. And the text that I was reading where I left off, it said, Mary was seated at his feet, listening to his words. And so I wrote her back and I said, Mary teaches us that he is too beautiful to look away from. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It's wonderful to say from a pulpit, but it's got to work into your day. It's got to get to the point where when people come around and all kinds of intentions and motives are being spit out into the air, you can destroy them all by saying, you are too beautiful to me to look away from. I worship you. I give you glory and honor. There is literally no one comparable to you. You are all my desire. You are all I long for. And now God looks down and he sees exactly what he's always wanted. He gets from him who says, I will love you. If they won't, I will. I don't care if other people won't love you. I will love you and give you the attention you deserve. I find traveling around from different churches, I find that... Jesus' heart is grieved, not so much with, quote, things going on. He knows humans and he knows there's all kinds of weirdness. But the thing that moves his heart the most is that people don't give him the attention he deserves. He deserves wholehearted attention. I'm telling you, I believe many people go in to the closet and while they're in there, They do all kinds of things around him and they look at things around him and stuff, but they won't look in his eyes. We need to look directly at him because an inch off today turns into a mile tomorrow. If you have walked with God for any amount of time, you know that statement is true. It's just like a marriage. My wife and I have had many times where some things just kind of got between us. We didn't say uh, what was going on. She said something, you know, I said something or whatever. And in the midst of the day, you're still together and you're in each other's proximity and stuff. But there's no like eyeball to eyeball. Do you know what I mean? If you've been married for any amount of time, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's not necessarily like a problem, but there's something there that is not addressed and you need to look at each other in the eyes. Do you know what I mean? Many of you have had friendships like this where there's just something, an offense or something came in and though they're there and you're with them and they're with you, you haven't yet had the talk. 
Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing, I think a lot of people live their whole Christian lives like this. They're around him. They're in his presence. They're about his business. They're doing these things, da-da-da-da. But God is saying, when, when are we really going to talk about the issue at hand? When are we going to get real and look in each other's eyes and I can see what's really going on and I can show you what's really going on. You can see what's really going on and I can show it to you. I believe this is the reason why so many people stay stuck for years. It's not that they're abandoning God per se, but they just won't come away. And I really feel like this is what God is after today. With every person that's here, even if your eyes are locked with him, you're probably more excited about this than anybody else. (laughs) But if your eyes are not locked in with his, then if you hear anything today, or if you don't hear anything else today, let it be this, that God looks at your heart and he says, love me. I desire you. Give me your attention. Let's put everything else away. Let's run to the cleft of the rock. I want to hear your voice. I want to see you. I want you to see me. I believe this is the reason why God has sent me here. It's basically with rose petals. To lay them down and lead you to the king's chamber. That you would follow those Wonderful little things into him. It's, it's hard to help people when they will not come away. Most of the issues are solved in our lives by just a kiss from the Lord. Just a sweet kiss will kill all of those things that are going on on the inside. And you think that there's so many of them and they've compounded and you're just, the multiplicities of life have gotten so active and it's like Ferris wheels all over your soul and you're just, I'm telling you one second, God will shut them all down like they never existed. It's just as simple as anything for him to get rid of the weeds. The little seeds people have sown into your life that you didn't tend to immediately. You know what I mean. Somebody said this or this happened. and As humans, we let them just go in and they start to grow like this. And the Lord says, I can take them out like this. Just look at me. You know, it hit me the other day. I was, I've been stuck in Psalm 27. How many know what I'm, what I'm talking about when I say Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and my salvation. David is just taken with God. He loves just to say these wonderful things. And in this wonderful chapter he has this statement that we love so much and people put it on their walls and we've made songs and conferences about it and the the word is one thing this is an only this is all i want one thing have i desired and that will i seek to dwell in your house i want to behold your beauty this is it in the midst of this beautiful passage he goes on next and he says seek my face The Lord says, seek my face. And David responds and he says, I will. I'm going to seek your face. And I begin to ask myself, if I was to put that in modern language, seek my face, what would it actually sound like? What would it look like? 
Because I've never looked at somebody and said, hey, bro, seek my face. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It's not really our kind of language. And I thought if you really look at it, a face is a person. And seek is to look for. He must be saying, look at me. I feel it for you. I feel it for me. That this is what he longs for. And he says, look at me. Will you look at me? Lord, I thank you for the loving invitation to look at you. Teach us to stare, Lord. Give us the wisdom of Mary to choose the good part. The one thing, (laughs) the thing that cannot be taken away, the only necessity for life. God, give us the, the lover's eyes that gaze and eagle blind. Give us one thing, hearts. Lord, I pray even now you would softly remove additions that we didn't even see we put there. Oh, thank you. Thank you that it's so easy for you. And your gentle love breaks a bone. We worship you. Lord, though these are only syllables, I pray they would carry the weight of the secret kisses we have shared. Lord, I recognize that I'm nothing more than a billion needs for you. I come to you, O precious love of mine, the one whose lips drip with honey and whose kisses like wine. Yes. The one whose voice is so tender, the one whose eyes are so kind, the one whose touch is bliss. We've chosen to leave everything behind. Lord, I am yours. You are mine. Everything in thee I find. Everything in thee I find. The reason why so many people don't recognize God as all or experience him as all is because there's not an only. The all, the all comes from the only. What does that mean? It means if he's only, the only thing that you desire, then and only then will you be able to experience him as all that you need. The reason why people don't experience him as all that they need because he's not the only thing that they want. The reason why so many people are unable to be led by God is because they're still bound to something that they want from him. And I'm telling you what God is looking for above all else is those who only, only want him. Gordon and I were talking yesterday and I really felt like this is for now, for you, for many people in this room, 
I feel like many of you have been looking for a leading from the Lord. And I'm telling you that it's easy to look so much for a leading, we forget about the feeding. What do you mean? We want to be led. We forget to be fed. But the leading is in the feeding. Some, so often we're, we look for the leading instead of looking at the one who leads. God often will conceal, he'll block, he'll cover, he'll, he'll literally disguise or completely blind you to the future on purpose because he's jealous to have all of your attention. Somebody says, Lord, you got to show me what to do. You got to show me the way to go. The Lord is saying no, because then your eyes will be there and not here. Remember, Daniel Kalinda told me God never wanted to send Abraham to the promised land. He wanted to walk with him. That's why he said, just leave here. Where are we going? It don't matter. We're going to be together. And I think this is what God is trying to really get each one of us to. Many different points of our lives. He'll block the next step. He'll hide it from you on purpose. Because he's trying to settle the issue. Give me your attention. Be with me. So often men block God with the goal. We look for the goal and forget about God. So God sometimes hides the goal so you can look at him and adore him. Are you hearing me? I really believe that this is where a lot of people are right now. And I'm, I'm telling you that as you're in this place of enjoying God and you've said to him, I don't even care what comes next. Brother Lawrence, he wrote this. He says, I don't know what the future holds, but my soul is so serene. I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. And I'm telling you that this right here is God's goal to have you so wrapped and satisfied in him that all the vacuums of the soul are shut off and you find that holiness is the fruit of being addicted to the maximum pleasure of life, which is God himself, which means I'm so happy with you. I'm not even concerned about all the things I used to be concerned with. I just want you and I desire you and you find that you're making more progress and gaining more spiritual maturity by simply enjoyment than all of the other things that people are trying to add to their lives. And I'm telling you right now, and many of you know what I'm talking about, people can add all kinds of stuff to their lives, and they put this on the agenda and that on the agenda. They love to tell everybody what they're doing, and they put all this new stuff that they've got going on, but the reality is is that they themselves are not satisfied with God. They're going to get empty and burn out quickly. And then you'll be able to just go right past them. And they'll be like, how did you do that? Well, I just enjoyed him. Somebody came to me one time and they said to me, they said, I got saved way before you. Why, uh, why do you know these things? 
and I don't know these things. Why do you know these things? And I told him, listen, I, I, I found that I know nothing. And I've decided not to know anything. And this is the reason why I believe God shows me things. In the same way, it's like God has a way of raising up the one who has bowed down. Because when you bow down, you lose all desire to ever be raised up. <laughs> That's why he raises up those that are bowed down. It's because when you go down low and worship, all the desires for ever being raised at all are gone. Now you're clean and you're free. And God can lead you and pick you up and put you right where you need to be because there's no ulterior motives. And if they ever come up, you know how to get them dealt with immediately by just gazing in the eyes that burn like fire. You want to get clean, just stay near Him. I believe that this is the essence of growing in God is the enjoyment of Him. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that striving is the curse. Enjoyment is the covenant. You guys have probably heard me say this before if you've ever heard me preach, but I believe the sum of Christianity is snuggle, don't struggle. Your struggling is in exact proportion to your lack of snuggling. And if you snuggle, you will not struggle. Eric, are you trying to tell me that if I take time to give God all my attention, enjoy Him in worship, laying upon Him, that this will destroy the struggling in my life? Yes. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Are you telling me that there'll be no tribulations or trials in life? No. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus forewarned us that there will be tribulations in this world. But then he follows that forewarning with a wonderful victory. And he says, but I already won all of them. I already overcame the world. What does that mean? It means he has so far overcome that everything and anything that can happen to you in this world cannot overcome you because he has overcome it all. He overcome the entire world. Your whole life in this world and the worst things that can happen to you in this world have already been overcome. So he says, listen, you're going to have things you need to overcome in your life, but don't worry because I already overcame them, which means if you cling to him, not only will you not depart from him, but wherever he goes, you'll be dragged there with him. <laughs> and the sweet beauty of clinging to God is most clearly seen, I believe, in adoration. This is why I have such an issue with a lot of things that go on in Christianity today. It's because adoration is the beginning. Adoration is the sustaining and adoration is the end. To adore the Lord is the goal. To adore the Lord and to see Him high and lifted up, this is it. And to miss this, we miss everything. One of my favorite writers wrote this. 
You were not cre- you were created. You were created for God. You were not created for spouse or children. You were not created for deeds or jobs or for achievement. Not even for natural abilities. You were created for him and him only. The scripture says in Revelation that by his pleasure or for his pleasure, he created you. He created you for his own pleasure. And it's in this enjoyment of him that the two find pleasure in one another. That's the essence of the reconciliation. And the essence of all of the sinner's problems is that he no longer finds or does not find his enjoyment in God. That's why what Christianity in essence is, is the enjoyment of God again and again and again. The man who has met God face to face, he knows all that he needs to know. And afterwards, he can only joy his way through life. Isn't that beautiful? A.W. Tozer said, the man who has met God is not looking for anything because he has found it. I'm telling you, that is the essence of the Christian life. Mother Besselia Schlink wrote, listen closely, you are here. What more could I want? You are here. What more could I want? This, my friends, is the essence of a genuinely spiritual life. The highest spirituality there is, is to be wrapped in Him, completely taken with Him, completely and totally satisfied with only Him. Your spirituality is in exact proportion to your satisfaction with Him. If there's other things that satisfy, then we know this. Our spirituality is deeply suffering. But it's when we find all of our satisfaction in Him that He's able to be completely satisfied in the house that we give to Him. If you want God to be satisfied with your life, then let Him be all your satisfaction. Put everything else away. One man, actually... Uh, one of our Bible school teachers rearranged the words of the Westminster Confession and he said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by finding pleasure in him. The chief end of man is to glorify God by finding pleasure in him. You see, these are the kind of things that I wish somebody would have told me at the very beginning It would have saved me so much time, struggle. It would have saved me so much back and forth, up and down. I would have been free to recognize in loving him is everything. And that in having him, I have all. That there is no need for additions. As a matter of fact, every addition is actually a subtraction. And to have him is is all. I even went through a period in my life where I was seeking God for power. And I found quickly that if you seek God for power, you forfeit intimacy. 
He will not share the throne of your heart with anything. With a position, positional standing, a theology, a desire, a gift, he won't share it. Just ask Abraham. What do you mean, Eric? Abraham had all of the promises of God in his son. Do you remember this? Isaac wasn't just his son. He was the son in whom everything God had culminated in Abraham's life was running around. The twinkle in Abraham's eye for his son was even more than just the twinkle in the father's eye for a son. It was his enjoyment of God's promises. In it was the fulfillment of his destiny. In it was the gifts that God had given him. In his son, everything that he had shared with God for the ages and the future to come was running around. And I'm telling you, I can see it. God gazes down at Abraham, whose soul used to gaze up at him, and they used to have this starry-eyed enjoyment of one another. And then one day when God looked down to have this beautiful heart-to-heart, eyeball-to-eyeball exchange with Abraham, Abraham wasn't looking at him. And God looks and he says, what is he looking at? And he sees Abraham's eyes are fixed on his son. And God says, hey, your son has taken my place. Our love exchange is affected now by the stuff I've given to you. You can cheat on God with stuff God gave you. So Abraham is staring at his son and God says, take that boy and kill him. He is jealous for you. He's so jealous for you, he will slay things that get between you and him. He will bring the hammer down so hard because he longs for you. And listen, and it's not just that he loves you so much that he wants all of your attention. That's the major part of it. That's the heart of it. But there's another reason. The other things will destroy you. They will break you down. They will take away your strength. And before you know it, not only will you miss out with your sweet love exchange with God, but all kinds of idols will begin to pop up inside of your heart. You'll be bowing to them in no time. Anything that you stare at will turn to gold. So God wants all of your attention. Not just because he loves you, because it's the safest place to be. Your helplessness is your safety. I am helpless without you. I am deeply in need of you. There's your safety. Eric, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And no, it makes 100% spiritual sense to say, in having nothing, I have everything. And so God tells Abraham, go slay the lad. He takes him up there. Abraham raises the knife. You know the story. And then what does God say? He says, don't kill him. He says, now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld, withheld from me. 
Do you see this? People can give a definition to the fear of the Lord any way that they want, but I'll tell you God's definition of the fear of the Lord. It is not withholding anything from him. God's definition of the fear of the Lord is my throne is your heart. Your heart is my throne. Oh, your feet, my pillow, your feet, my crown. This is the fear of the Lord. Unchallenged, no rival. You far above all those who surround you. Even as David says, who among the sons of the mighty is comparable to you, Lord? Who in the skies is like you? No one. You're far above all who surround you. You're greatly feared in the council of the holy. You are higher than high. You are one and only. It is you, great God, in a category all by yourself. Not only are you that in and of yourself, but you are that to me. (laughs) This is what David means when he says things like this. Oh God, my God. Not only are you God above all gods, but you're God above all in my life. You're not just in a category all by yourself because of what you are and who you are, but you are in a category all by yourself in my heart. Oh God, my God, I love you. David's taken with God. Oh, he's so wrapped up in his God that he plays his worship unto the Lord. And he says, you train my my hands for war, my fingers for fighting. What does that mean? It means every battle that could ever come to you is won by worship. I worship you, Lord. I, I give you glory and honor. People want to fight in a war room. I'll tell you, God's looking for a bedroom. God wants someone to come in and lay with him. To come away from everybody else and shut the door and experience the wonder of his person through adoration and the laying down of all. This is where it really begins to fly into the heights. This is what raising up like an eagle actually is. It's waiting on God. What is waiting upon God, Eric? It is giving him all of your attention. We don't wait for his presence. We wait in his presence. Looking to him. It's subjectivity to God. I look to you. I'm not going nowhere. I'm looking to you. This is what happened with Saul. Do you remember this? Saul did not wait upon the Lord. When the Lord didn't come, it exposed what was really in Saul's heart, which was other things. He wanted the people's adoration. He wanted the people's reverence. And so when God did not come, what did Saul do? He went ahead with his religious rituals. See, religion is presenceless devotion. It's devotion to God without the presence of God. And so Saul tries to do all these things unto God and for God, but all the while he won't wait on God. He exposes the fact that his heart is not captivated, looking, watching, waiting, enjoying the person of God. He wants the stuff from God. And so he gets the kingdom of God ripped from him. David watches all of this. And then he writes, guys, wait, I say, upon the Lord. I'm telling you, if you don't hear me, this is what David is saying, if you don't hear me, hear this, wait on God. Because I've watched Saul crumble. And how did Saul crumble? Because his lack of waiting showed he wanted something other than just 
God. You see, your itch to move on from him stems from a desire for something other than him. I'll say it again. Your itch to move on from him stems from a desire for something other than just him. I'm telling you, it's the secret. It's the lover's way. It's the kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. It's the your love is better than wine. And as David says, your love is better than life. So David is here saying, oh, you're all that I desire. There's only one thing. Everything else is forgotten. Your radiance has blinded me to all of the things. I want you, Lord, not anything else. And then David has a son, and his name is Solomon. Do you remember this? Isn't it very interesting that David is the only person who said one thing I desire? He's the only person that wrote this one thing sentence. And then he has a son, and God says one thing to David's son. Isn't that interesting? The only person that said one one thing do I desire is David. And then to David's son, God asks him a question. He says, what one thing do you want? It's as if God was saying, is your heart anything like your father's? You want me above everything? And though what Solomon chose was good, and God even was pleased with his request, it did not keep him. His heart was divided. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, but dot, dot, dot. He didn't get what he wanted from Solomon. Solomon had a really rough life. Many things happened in his life that he could have easily avoided. And I believe it could have been avoided by the one thing. What one thing do you want? You. That's what I want. Now, again, that's my opinion. I just think it's very interesting that God asked the one person who said one thing, what one thing do you want? I think it's just interesting. And so I guess what the Lord is even asking today and trying to bring us all back to today, and if you recognize from the things that I'm saying, there's only one thing I'm relaying over and over again different ways, is that he would have everything. And that not one person will step in the way and nothing will be added to him. And that your life would literally be completely taken with God. When I first got born again, he swept in like a lover and took me away. I became addicted to the way it feels when I give attention to him. Do you know what I mean when I say this? Addicted to the way it feels when I give attention to him. To the point where when I was in Bible college, I used to pray to the Lord. I would say, Lord, I don't care what you make me. It doesn't matter what I do in my life. I'll be a janitor for the rest of my life. Just let me have your sweet presence. Just let me enjoy you and I'll literally scrub floors the rest of my life. It does not matter to me. I just want you. As soon as I got out of Bible college, I never went to Bible college to preach the Bible. I went to Bible college because I got saved during the Brownsville Revival and the presence of God was so rich there, I wanted to be there. I didn't go to get trained up to do ministry. I went there to get basked, to bask in the presence of God, to dip deep 
and to lay into him through fasting and prayer, through a season of time of just enjoyment of God to the highest degree. This is what I wanted. So when I came out of Bible college, I didn't go looking for resumes. I never put one resume into a church. When I came out of Bible college, I went back into the closet and said, wherever you want me, I will go. Just let me have you. Remember, this is what Moses taught us. Even when God gave him a commission, he goes, I can't even fulfill the commission you gave me unless you go with me. He says, you got to go with me so I can have rest. God says, my presence will give you rest. Here's the reason why so many people go forward to accomplish the thing God has called them to, and they just are so frazzled and antsy and no rest whatsoever. It's because they're going towards what God said, and all the while they don't have an awareness of God. That's why I believe, as I told you earlier, he'll conceal it because he wants you. He's jealous for you. It's an act of jealousy of the Lord. And so I remember as soon as I got out of Bible college, the first job that came to me was a janitor. (laughs) It's like the Lord said, put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) And I remember sweeping floors and I remembered the prayer that I prayed constantly. And when the days would get rough, I would remember, oh, yes, I told you this, and I mean it. And I would worship the Lord. I'd sweep these floors. And I remember one actual room. It was a small room where these guys used to work in there. I had to clean it out. I cleaned an accident body shop, like where people's cars got wrecked. And uh, the guys would fix the cars and detail the cars and things. I swept the floors in there. That was my job. I cleaned the bathrooms and things. And I remember I walked into this one small little room where these guys would clean out the cars and they had managed to put pornography from the top of the ceiling to the floor on all four walls. This, they just did it like that. They had their own room. So that's how they decided to decorate it. And so when I, wa- I would walk in there to clean it and obviously there's attractive images all over the place. I would put my heart before the Lord to protect me from the things that could take his place. And I would grab that broom, and I remember the walls, you know, they're plastered, and I would sweep those floors, and I would just begin to worship the Lord. I sing praises to your name. Sweeping the floors. Oh, Lord, praise. They look at me, there's that dumb guy again, that kid that sings when he comes in here. Oh, Lord, for your name is great. Sweeping. And greatly to be praised, worship. I give worship to your name. And in this worship, what I was saying to the Lord is, Lord, you are more beautiful to me than anything else I could see. My desire is for you above the things that I would want in my lower nature. There's a higher desire. Set your affections on things that are higher. Set your affections on things above and not on things below. Because up above is where Christ is seated. It's where his presence and rule come from. And I would find that the kingdom of God was able to break the hold of the kingdom of darkness in that place. Where even though there was the kingdom of darkness pinnacle all around, the reality was this is that that place turned into the glory of God for me. 
And then I went on from there to start working construction after I worked for Reinhardt Bunky for a season. When I worked for Reinhardt Bunky, um, I would stack boxes. That was my job, is to stack boxes and ship out books and um, get any time that I could with him to pick him up from the airport or anything at all that I could do. And I remember, man, I'd be stacking boxes all day long. Nobody back there but me. Stacking boxes and praying and singing in the Holy Spirit. Just pacing. When I had nothing to do, I'd just pace down the idols, pray for the product for a minute, and then just continue, you know, worshiping and just trying to transform every atmosphere that I had into the glory of God. I found in these times that even the most mundane things in life can be dripped on by the glories that come from the world that is coming. I, I find that the realities of the person of God and the fullness of His joy and peace, they don't care about where you are. So that even the mundane things of life would turn into a garden of spices with my beloved. <laughs> and then from, from, from there I went on to, to work um, construction and I would dig ditches. This was the hardest one. Out of all the different seasons that I went through, this one was the hardest. Florida is terrible. It is so hot all the time. Right now, you're sweating. and They're sweating in Florida. Christmas Day, they will be sweating, bringing the presents in the house. It's just hot all the time. And it'd get, it'd, it'd get so hot, and I'd be digging ditches all day long. And these guys would be blasting hardcore gangster rap profanity music, and they'd be passing pornography around. Some of them were on drugs, foaming out their mouths. It was just... A terrible environment. But I found, oh, I learned a secret. (laughs) That if he'll help me slay the lion and he'll help me slay the bear, Goliath is nothing. So it doesn't matter. He taught me in the warehouse how to enjoy him. So in this place, it's got to be the same. (laughs) And so right there in the midst of this terrible, oppressive atmosphere that is wearing on the body I would take my shovel red trenching shovel I can still see it right now and I would I would trench this we'd have 3,000 feet to dig nobody's listening to me they put me in charge and nobody would listen to me and I'm trying my best to get them to work they wouldn't work they just want to punch each other and talk about girls and I'd be digging and I would do it again I'd say I sing praises to your name just worshiping Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Digging. Oh, Lord. Stop for a second. (laughs) Just drink. For your name is great. You see what I mean? Just like this. I'm telling you, the glory of God is the same with a trench and shovel in your hand and a microphone in your hand at a fire conference. It's the same exact. Wonderful is your name, just like this. I'm giving glory to you, Lord. There's no one like you. Do you see this? It's the same exact thing. And when I began to learn this, I began to see this is the secret. Because I grew up with such a divide between the church service and the worship service and my daily life. There was such a gap, a chasm, massive chasm between the wonderful glories of worship in the sanctuary, and then an actual disagreement with my wife. Do you understand? There's a chasm in our minds. 
But God, through abiding and enjoyment, through adoration, will close the gap completely so all is the same. So that we can live in and walk in the sweetness of his presence, no matter who you are or where you are. It does not matter. The same blood is on you that was on Smith Wigglesworth. You have the same wonderful, sweet ability to go into the king's chamber as John G. Lake, John praying high, John the Apostle. It doesn't matter. You can enjoy him. I remember Fuchsia Pickett came to Brownsville and she talked about how John laid his head on the chest of Christ. And she asked the Lord, she said, Lord, why is he the only one that did this? The Lord spoke to her and said, he's the only one that chose to. I'm telling you that the chest of Christ is open for you. And if you choose to, you can go there. Many don't want to. But I'm telling you, there's a learning that only comes from leaning. Peter knew it because he looked at John and said, hey, find out this. There's something you have access to that I don't. Now, was it equally open to Peter? Obviously. But what I'm saying is this. The chest of Christ is wide open for whoever, whenever, the unlimited accessibility of Christ should literally haunt us. I've had times where I'm with my wife shopping and she's, we're there and as I'm just in the midst of just everyday life, you know, I begin to lose my attention upon the Lord. I'm getting frustrated with how long she's taken to shop and all these other things I've got to do. And I'm just thinking about all this stuff. You know, I'm just trying to bring it right into the mall. You know what I mean? I'd be right there and, you know, there's all kinds of things that can distract you everywhere. You know what I mean. And all of a sudden, I hear this secular song playing over the radio. I don't even know if you guys know the song. I don't really know the song, but the words went through the speaker and through my soul. The secular song goes, I have died every day waiting for you. When I heard that, Those words were taken by the Holy Spirit and they went through me like a spear. I have died every day waiting for you. I ran into the bathroom, shut the stall and let my heart go up to God. Oh Lord, you wait for me. You wait for me. Let me wait for you. I I, I long for you. Long for me. I long for you. This sweet embrace of God begins to realign my heart and though I felt completely discombobulated in one moment everything came back together my mind was clear my heart was whole and I could feel as if the lover of my soul had taken me in his embrace let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embraced me I was held by him and it is as if when I walked out of there though I was in the mall I was no longer there I was simultaneously in another place And I'm finding that the beauty and the glory of the embrace of God is this simultaneous dwelling. You live in his arms and in life. And the greatest way to live in life is to live in his arms. If you want to taste heaven, let him kiss you with the kisses of his mouth. If you want to feel heaven, then let him hold you in his arms. The essence of all that there is in this higher life, it comes down to love, exchange, and romance with God. 
I'm telling you every time that the only thing that has kept me is that his romantic self comes to get me. He, he, he plants little doors in your life. Many of you know this kind of thing. He touches you in a specific way, in a specific place, and he logs in your heart that moment with him that's so special. And then when you need it, he brings it right back to you to you because he loves you and he longs for you to stay with him. And when you begin to wander off, he'll just put a door in your wandering so you can pass right back to the place you've left off. <laughs> what do you mean, Eric? I'll tell you a, a, a story. So for instance, one time I was um, locked up in my, uh, in my closet and I kept seeing Winnie the Pooh. And I was saying to myself, why do I keep seeing Winnie the Pooh? I kept pushing Pooh away, and he would come back, and I'd push him away, and he'd come back. And finally, I was like, the Lord must be trying to say something to me through Winnie the Pooh. So I drew the best Winnie the Pooh I could in my journal. This little red shirt on, belly pop out, everything. And then it just hit me. Pooh Bear loves honey. And the scripture encourages me, actually demands my son eat honey. It is good for your soul. It's literally wisdom is thus. It's like this for your soul. It's the sweetness of revelation. Pooh Bear would love honey. You know what else? Recently, a movie came out called Christopher Robin. And because God had installed this wonderful Pooh Bear thing in my life, I have been unable to see Pooh Bear the same since. He has become a doorway to pass into romantic exchange with God. And I was there one night. I had come off of a long trip. I just wanted to sit down on the couch with the family and watch a movie. And I flipped through the channels, the, uh, the Netflix or whatever it was. And I came across Christopher Robin. And as soon as I saw it, I said, oh, my God. Pooh Bear's in this movie. (laughs) So I pressed play. We started to watch it. And many times throughout the the movie, I just started weeping. Little things begin to come out. For instance, he constantly says, if you've seen the movie, he keeps saying, I'm hungry. I got a rumbly in my tumbly. And I began to see that the Lord showed me Pooh Bear because he loves those that are hungry for him. Always hungry. Pooh Bear's always hungry. And I feel like the Lord was saying, I want you to always be hungry. Always have a rumbly in your tumbly for revelation from the Lord. Do you have any honey? And he keeps saying to Christopher Robin in the movie, he tells him that he's a bear of simple brain. And it hit me. The Lord just keeps telling me, stay simple. Don't get complex. So often we, we leave childlikeness in a pseudo-spirituality. We, we think that we're growing in maturity, but we've left childlikeness. And now God can't give us anything of the kingdom, but we know everything about the kingdom. But Paul tells us the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It doesn't matter what you can tell me about the kingdom of God. What matters is this. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what matters. And what we see in Pooh Bear is he stays 
He stays in this childlike place, always hungry for honey. So I felt the Lord use him in my life. Actually, in the movie, he does this game. Watch this. He does this game, say what you see. You see that? So he stares out the train window and he says, dog, woman. He says what he sees. The Lord used this in my life many years ago. He said to me, I want you only to say what you've seen. John the Baptist saw the lamb and said, he saw and said. When he saw, he said. The prophet tells you what he's seen. The scribe only tells you what he read. But if you say what you see, then you bring from the things from the world to come into this world. So if you say what you see, this is the key to revelation. This is the reason why two men can say the same thing. And one of them has life on it. And the other one is dead. One of them is almost vibrating. And the other one is hollow. Do you understand what I mean? It's because some men describe honey. Others dispense honey. Because they see what they say. They say what they see. You understand? Oh, it's a key, guys. It is so important for the things that we have to give out, that they have their origin in him. Personal interaction with God changes the entire ballgame. Are you hearing me? Praise the Lord. This is what I would like to do now, if it's okay. I normally don't start the schools like this. I normally talk about the need for his presence. This is kind of, it's kind of in there. And then we go into how to experience his presence. And then we do Q&A. And then we pray. That's normally the entire day of a school. But I felt really specific for the people that are here today. That God wanted to shift everything back upon his eyes. I felt he was tenderly, kindly grabbing your face and putting your face right where it needs to be. Do you understand? One time I began to really think a lot concerning my life, the ministry, my own self. Why am I not accepted here? Why did these people say these bad things about me here? All this thinking started taking place, and I realized it affected my drinking. My Drinking was blocked by my thinking. But the more I drink of him, the more I'm satisfied with him, which shuts off all those things. So you choose one or the other. You choose drinking or you choose thinking. You can't figure and be filled. You have to choose to be filled or figure. You pick, you pick one. One of them is going to lead to him. The other one's going to lead you away from him. It's very simple. So as I was in my room, I was in Canada, and I began to get down on myself, thinking about all kinds of things about myself. Some people had said some bad things about me. The meeting didn't go very well. I felt like I was preaching behind glass. They couldn't hear me. I was like, what is happening here? I just said, Mary loved Jesus. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, so what? I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? You know? Do you ever say that? You say something to someone and they're just like, oh, yeah, cool. You're like, no, no, no. What? There are rainbows around the throne. Did you hear what I just said? There's rainbows around the throne. 
You know, some people are just like, yeah, I saw the Lord. There's rainbows around the throne. Did you hear what you just said? There are rainbows around the throne of God. It's just beautiful. So I began to get down on myself. And as I was getting down on myself, I saw the Lord as I began to pray, grab my chin like this. And he lifted my head up like this in the vision. And I said to him, oh, Lord, why do they call you the lifter of my head? And he says, because you can't see me when your head is down. Because you cannot see me when your head is down. He lifts your head up so that you can see him. Many times it's our self-consciousness that blocks our God consciousness. We can't experience the presence because we're aware of our own presence or the presence of another. But the sweetness of his presence changes the whole ballgame. You can't see me when your head is down. Let me lift up your head. So I pray even now, Lord, wherever a head in this room is down, can you help me on the pad? That'd be great. I pray, Lord, that those whose heads are down, looking at themselves or things that are all around, I pray, Lord, that you just right now lift up their heads. Lift up their heads, Lord. Lift up their heads. Yeah, now's not time to think about anything else but him. We're not here to ask him for anything. We're not here to gain anything or to pray for other people. Just to think. We're here to worship and just let your heart go up. Take my eyes, take my eyes again, Lord. Take my eyes again, Lord. Take my eyes, Lord.
first love again 
really feel the Lord is bringing silence to the noise in some of you guys' minds. A noise that has just become normal to you. The Lord is silencing it so that you can hear him and remain attentive to him. It's easy to accept turbulence of soul as the norm. But the Lord now, I pray, give you rest, stillness, silence. In the midst of the hustle and bustle of life. Yeah, just say this with me. Say, Lord, here's all my heart. Take it all. It's yours. And there's a real, <laughs> there's a real tender sweetness here. If you want to stay here, just feel free. If it's possible for us to leave it silent here, for those that want to stay, that would be great. Those of you that need to get uh, some food, you have a rumbly in your tumbly, <laughs> you can, uh, we'll meet back here at 1.15. We'll start worship again at 1.15. Okay? And we will talk about how to experience His presence every day. Then we will do Q&A. And then we will pray. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.